You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, October 30th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. Impeachment is still going on, and a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army just delivered some really bad information for Trump. So, of course, Donald Trump is going on the attack. We will talk about all the fighting over Lieutenant Colonel Alexander S. Vindman's testimony before the House of Representatives. And then a different kind of headline. Republicans are worried that they're going to lose everything in 2020. We'll talk about that, too. After that, Kitty Herzog is here to dissect the Congresswoman Katie Hill scandal that's led to the Democrat from California resigning in the wake of exposure of her thruple and her alleged relationship with a staffer. It's complicated, but it's interesting. And Facebook's employees are in revolt over political ads. We'll get into that too. Finally, Rich and Jasmine are reading two books that you need to hear about. One is by a millennial who's being called the voice of her generation. But first, Rich, Katie, and me on impeachment. Rich, good morning. Good morning, Eli. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Eli. Guess what? What? Impeachment is still going. It's still. Still. I am shocked. We have not ITMFA'd already, but uh, getting a little closer, it seems like. The Democrats closed door depositions of all kinds of people who saw Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and company in action trying to essentially pervert U.S. uh, policy on Ukraine to the advantage of Donald Trump's reelection effort and gin up uh, false narratives about Joe Biden to hurt Joe Biden. All the people who saw that going on have been coming one at a time to the closed door depositions and uh, turning on the president and delivering the truth of what was going on. Will it matter? It hasn't yet, <laughs> but maybe, maybe it will. Yeah, they're voting on a, a, a resolution in the House on Thursday, um, which the Republicans say just proves all of these closed door hearings is a sham. Uh, and despite the fact that it doesn't prove that the last three impeachments have happened um, or have began without a, a vote in the House or a vote on a resolution in the House. And um, Republicans are still, I mean, the latest thing is this, uh, them bringing in Vindman, the top Ukrainian official for the National Security Council, mm-hmm. who uh, was, actually heard the call that the president was on uh, with Zelensky and uh, testified that not only is everything that everyone's saying is true, that is that the president did a quid pro quo uh, for aid for political information, but that uh, he said more. He actually brought up Burisma, the uh, Ukrainian uh, energy company that Joe Biden's son was on and uh, directly was asking about Joe Biden uh, on on the call and that he fought to get that information in the transcript that we've all seen but was denied. So another way of putting that is shocker, the perfect and beautiful transcript of the call that Donald Trump released and said was complete. Like he said this multiple times. It was not complete. It was not perfect. They left things out. It was was far (laughs) from perfect. 
And uh, so here we are. Vin Min is a lieutenant colonel in the army. He has a purple heart after being wounded in the Iraq war. And most intriguing to me, he has a twin brother who is also <laughs> on the National Security Council, who he went to with this information. And I read this and I was just like, oh, you fucked with the wrong twins. Yeah, you can't do twins. <laughs> you cannot mess with twins. <laughs> yeah. The it, brother is, uh, I think, involved in the legal team for the National Security Council. And so, well, sorry, Donald Trump, but these guys are going to watch out for each other and uh, they are in the right. Yeah, they, probably, they probably got their own secret no language. As a twin, <laughs> I can say that is a real thing. Yeah. That's right. I am a twin, yeah. That's right. I didn't know that you were a twin. Yeah, there's two of us. Wow. I know, it's is it for Is it fraternal or yeah, identical? Fraternal. See, oh. I, have a, I have a straight twin, so it tells you everything. <laughs> well, is your twin Ukrainian? Because Vinman is, was born in Ukraine, and the Republicans are now saying, they're birthering him, they're saying mm-hmm. that he's got a loyalty to uh, Ukraine and not to uh, the United States, and so right. his testimony can't be trusted. Presumably his twin, who's also a lawyer in the uh, National Security Council, also right. can't be trusted. I mean, Vinman's story is the classic immigrant story once again for the United States and Republicans have been coming out and saying this is too far even for us. These attacks on Vinman saying he must be disloyal just because his family fled Ukraine because of uh, really difficult circumstances well, there. What This idea that somebody would, that immigrants are disloyal to the country that they choose to go to, as opposed to the, those of us who were just fucking lucky enough to be born here, is so, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It also, Donald Trump is the one right, who is right, disloyal right. to the and, country, yeah, is, right. is what is at the heart of the impeachment and accusations. And is married to an immigrant. Like, yeah. Right. And Vinman, just to say, he was raised by immigrant parents who um, emphasized above all else loyalty to the country that you had come to. They were very happy to have arrived in America and were trying very hard to integrate and make something of themselves. This guy served the United States in the U.S. Army and was wounded in Iraq. Sounds like a traitor. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's um, it shows, I think, uh, a desperation like it, the Trump administration and Trump in particular just smears every single witness he can using really the same playbook over and over again. And even sorry to uh, bring up a triggering name on the show, but even uh, the Cheney who's currently in power, Liz Cheney, has said this is bullshit. Stop attacking him. Uh, stop questioning his patriotism. It hasn't stopped the Fox News people from doing it. Right. And that's a bigger problem here is that we're still we still live in our crazy echo chambers where the people, the constituents of the Republicans are not getting the same message that we are What they're the message they're getting is the message that state media Fox News puts out. Mm hmm. And I, I hope that they continue to come out uh, or you know break with their uh, party uh, on this issue because now Republicans are trying to uh, figure out they're basically using the hearings, the private hearings, to ask questions to determine the identity of the whistleblower, mm-hmm. which would kill him or kill that person or whoever it was, you know, right? I mean, the second that we, the president knows who is 
um, doing their lawful duty by reporting cr- uh, crimes to the inspector general. Um, he's th- going to tweet it. Yeah, he's going to tweet that person's pet face. He's going to put a little like CNN meme on his head and show him WWF wrestling him. It's going to be <laughs> horrible. Mark Meadows, fucking Freedom. Uh, what, what's the what's the stupid name of their the Freedom Caucus? The, yeah, the yeah, Freedom Caucus head is in there saying that are you know, arguing that whistle. Congress only has a duty to protect the whistleblower that doesn't necessarily grant the whistleblower anonymity. It's hmm. insane. <laughs> it's horrific. And again, it's everything. It's just it's opposite day every day with these people. They're saying that the uh, uh, the Democrats are using these uh, cl- closed door hearings, and because they're closed door hearings, it's a sham. But really, they're using them to try to out a whistleblower. It's Let's disgusting. also just back up because Trump is just an expert at getting you caught up in the outrage of the moment uh, and multiple outrages of the moment so that you forget kind of the big picture. And since you brought up the whistleblower, the big picture is that everything the whistleblower said or alluded to or hinted at has been proven true by the testimony of this parade of people that have now come through the Democrats' impeachment inquiry. So there was – multiple people have said – a quid pro quo, even though Trump has said there wasn't a quid pro quo. There was a deal where the Ukrainian president was supposed to announce an investigation of the Bidens. And in exchange, the Trump administration would give them something, a White House meeting and or the aid being returned, etc. There was also this shadow foreign policy that Trump ran through Giuliani and others and more. And the Ambassador Ukraine was fired for shady reasons, mostly for not being on board with this thing. So uh, the story of Donald Trump abusing the power of his office is just right out there in front of us. And the question now you're talking about Republicans breaking is whether this vote that Nancy Pelosi has set for this week on formalizing the impeachment inquiry, just as Republicans say she has to do, even though she doesn't. Um, whether Republicans will join in this and whether Democrats will hold together. But usually Nancy Pelosi doesn't announce a vote unless she's got the votes. Yeah. So, so we will see what happens there. That's coming, I think, on Thursday. Meanwhile, here is a shocking article that came across uh, my computer screen this week. And I just wanted to share the headline because it is so out of sync with everything that we have been uh, saying and hearing people fret about for the last, I don't know, three plus years. This was a report in Axios, and they are talking about the GOP's nightmare scenario. Republicans are worried about their worst nightmare and across the board wipeout in 2020. That's losing the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. And there's all kind of Republicans who are now saying quietly, because they only ever say it quietly, that this is coming, potentially. And you see a lot of uh, House Republicans, another one, I think it was this week from Oregon, just bailing out. The Texas is happening, Republican Congress people from Texas uh, declining to run again. There's this uh, admission, it seems like, on their part of House Republicans that there is no way they're winning the House. And people who are just kind of bored with being in the minority, not having power uh, and are kind of older, they're just going to retire. They're done. And then the senators are now starting to say, oh, shit, we're going to maybe lose the Senate, too. 
Rich, you were looking at the states that this runs through. Yeah, there's a sort of like three tiers of democratic possibilities, uh, uh, flippable uh, states. I think that the top tier that people are looking at are Maine, Colorado, and Arizona. In Arizona, Martin Mc, or, or McSally got uh, appointed to her seat after John McCain died, so she's up for uh, re-election. Uh, Susan Collins, longtime senator uh, there in Maine, is obviously up for re-election. I, I thought, you know, last when I, when she took one of the many controversial votes where she <laughs> sided with Republicans, there was a, a big war chest that was. Uh, started on behalf of her eventual opponent mm-hmm. so there's already a lot of money and interest in that you know in that race and then cory gardner in um uh, in colorado colorado's an increasingly blue state um you know pot uh is legal there um there's burgeoning tech industry you know a lot of wealthy educated people are flooding uh colorado and so the electorate's changing gardner's a first term uh in, incumbent and uh, he's in a He's in a pickle, and I think he only won uh, the seat by a couple points. So that's the first layer uh, of possibility there. Democrats, I think, need three or four seats to take back uh, a slim majority. Uh, but even then, you know, if they do win those seats, you're dealing with people like Kristen Sinema uh, and other, and, you know, Joe Manchin and other. Uh, uh, Democratic senators who are uh, extremely uh, moderate, some might even say center leaning center right uh, on the in the in the Democratic Party. So it doesn't necessarily mean that all of our hopes and dreams can uh, can happen, but uh, it is looking a little bit better than what we were saying two years ago, which was Senate maps looking bad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and as uh, Mitch McConnell has taught us, the majority is everything in the Senate yeah. when it comes to confirmation of crazy appointees to the administration not to mention the U.S. Supreme Court and all the federal judges up and down the federal bench that have slipped through in Republican-controlled uh, Senate that would never even have gotten a hearing under a Democrat-controlled Senate. That's just the stark reality. These are people who have been rated totally unqualified by like the Bar Association, and that is, that's a like gold star on their resume, apparently, to... <laughs> Uh, to Senate Republicans. I just, for people who like quotes about uh, other people shitting their pants, here's the here's the <laughs> Axios quote that stood out to me. Scott Reed, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce senior political strategist, and the Chamber of Commerce is a mostly conservative organization, tells Axios that third quarter fundraising reports show three Republican senators being outraised by Democratic challengers in the states Rich was mentioning, Arizona, Iowa, and Maine, and they are calling this in Republican circles a three-alarm fire. So they are freaked out. I don't understand the alarm system of fires. Is how many, <laughs> Does it go to five? That is actually, I don't know, and a very good question. It's, it's a, Anything more than is... two, <laughs> people are trying to signify that they are really fucking freaked out. I think, yeah, that sounds right to me. So three-alarm fire, maybe it'll get to five. If Democrats keep out raising Republicans in these three states and more, we will be watching that. And next, we're going to talk about the Katie Hill controversy and a rebellion by Facebook employees. Rich, your bowl and branch sheets. Why do you love them? Let us count the ways. Well, they're more um, uh, reliable than human beings who are supposed to love me and support me. Mm hmm. That's my own, and That's they're cool and organic. <laughs> so when you wash them, they're still. Did I say too much just now? Maybe a tiny overshare, 
But I think it's valuable information <laughs> when you're considering whether to purchase some sheets. Yeah, totally. Which Absolutely. Also, thanks for getting us back on track. Get softer over time. Yeah. Yes. Just like the humans in your life, potentially, mm. sometimes. These are the softest and most comfortable sheets in the world and the only bedding loved by three U.S. presidents. For a limited time, you can get their luxury flannel bedding. It'll keep you cool sleepers warm and the flannel sheets breathe so they'll keep your warm sleepers cool. Beautiful copy. I love it. Shipping is always free. You can try them out for 30 days risk-free and right now... You get $50 off your first set of Bowl and Branch sheets at bowlandbranch.com with promo code Blabbermouth. Get $50 off at bowlandbranch.com promo code Blabbermouth. Spelled B O L L and branch.com promo code Blabbermouth. So, Katie, you have been watching another Katie, not your twin. My but, twin does not have the same name as me, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be real. That's I'm not sorry. how twins work, is it? Unfortunately, Katie, we it do is actually, how twins work. We do have the same middle name, however. <laughs> okay, so there is a Katie Hill in Congress who actually is not in Congress anymore. Not, well, she is. She has not officially stepped down yet. But yes, this is possibly the first polyamorous Bisexual representative, probably not the first, but anyway, Katie Hill was a representative from Congress, a representative from California, a freshman, um, progressive, lots of potential. And she has just become involved in this sort of very dramatic scandal, very, uh, very poly, very dramatic scandal. Um, so a blog called Red State, this sort of right wing blog, published photos of Katie Hill, this sort of PG-13 makeout photos with a woman. And just as for uh, people who this is always the only important thing, she's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. Yeah. In a sex scandal. Yeah. And she's from California. Right. Yeah. As, as if you can tell that she's the bisexual polyamorous <laughs> from California. Yeah. She is a Democrat. Yes. The Republicans have had some really uh, – uh, I don't know if polyamorous is even considered kinky anymore, but yeah. some really kinky shit come out. So okay. It, good point. Good point. It could be um, a So she's not – yeah. This isn't the New Gingrich school of scandal. This is the uh, the Democratic school of scandal. So, okay. So this blog, Red State, published these very humiliating but sort of PG photos of Katie Hill making out with a woman. Um, and uh, so – she, this woman that she was involved in a relationship with, Katie Hill, was married to a man, and uh, this was one of her campaign staffers. So this relationship lasted a few years. It was apparently a throuple. So it was Katie Hill, her husband, and this young woman whose name has not been released. Apparently, she's twenty-two, um, and so this caused a lot of, a, you know, a lot of there's a, a lot of media coverage of this. And so soon afterwards, Katie Hill was also accused of having a an affair with her legislative director. So the the narrative that this blog published is that she left her husband and this other woman for her legislative director. I don't know how much of this is true. She has denied ever having an affair with a legislative director. She has, after the photos came out, she admitted to uh, being in a relationship with this woman. She says that she has implied that her husband was abusive and that he leaked these photos to Red State. And he hasn't issued any comment and she hasn't, 
she hasn't offered any sort of evidence for that, but it does like this reeks of revenge porn. Like it's intimate photos as well as some text messages that he would have had access to. So the thruple is with the campaign staffer and while she's husband. trying to get elected. Right. And- but it lasted through 29. It lasted until June of this year, supposedly. So it's it was ongoing for a couple of years. So post-election, pre and post-election. And then there's the allegation of another relationship right. with a, a uh, staffer once she's elected to Congress. Right. With, a, with her legislative director. And she denies that one um so she has uh, announced that she will be resigning um her position and she has uh she's sort of on the on the left she's sort of looked at right now as a victim and a hero because she uh is standing up to this revenge porn but also i don't, I don't know I, i'm it's a little bit hard for me to believe the full narrative like she's denying this affair with this one person there's no photos from that one she's not denying the affair with or the relationship with the other person uh, there's a lot of sort of issues here about the morality of publishing these photos. I don't know why that should be a question. It seems to me that it's it's pretty unethical to publish photos, you know, re- leaked revenge porn, uh, porn kind of photos um, of a public figure. But anyway, that happened. And uh, so the poly community is having their introduction to the public. And it is, as you would expect, a uh, three-alarm dumpster fire. <laughs> so you were writing on The Stranger's blog that it seems – once again, that how you come to your truth about what is happening here is entirely dependent on your partisan alignment. From the sort of think pieces that I've read, this it does totally align with politics. It's like Republicans are blaming her for, you know, she had this. Another element of this is that it is now after it post me to it is against House rules. This is a new rule, but it's against House rules for any congressman to or congressperson, excuse me, to have a relationship sexual or romantic with a staffer. So that those rules were put in place after, you know, a bunch of people were mostly men were alleged of, of you know, abuses of power and sexual harassment and misconduct in Congress. And so she's the first one who actually will 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 be ra- railroaded out with there's some irony to that that the mm-hmm. that the woman is the one you know is the one uh, losing her job over this um and so i think for you know for people on the right this is sort of a, a delicious moment of hypocrisy and um and they love to see it but on the left this is looks like a this woman was the victim of revenge porn and do you feel like well okay it's not a bad rule to say i mean it's the rule in uh I think probably most companies might even be the law in a, in some states. Like you can't have a relationship with your subordinate because the power relationship is unequal. And is it just, a law in some states? Maybe not. I, I, d- I doubt. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a law. All right, never mind. That yeah. went too far. But I think it is against, it's against health ethics, ethics rules to date your legislative age. You should have apologized for that. You should right. not have apologized for smoking weed and fucking women in her like right. off time. Like no, I, I, know I just. But, I agree with that, but and, there is and the, and the characterization that that this is somehow like on the left a reason, you know, pointing it's hip, hip, hypocritical or whatever is just I don't know. It's a, that's a little bit too far. Well, do you think that? I mean, I think the the reason people think it's hypocritical, hypocritical, because the idea is that if this were a man who had been sleeping with a twenty two year old staffer, that this would have been a, a you know this it would have been an obvious abuse of power. You know, and you can it, you can argue about the uh, like they're consenting adults. You know, we can argue about the the ethics of of you know sleeping with an underling 
all we want. But the, the reality is right now, this is a taboo. And the rule is that, you know, you can't sleep with people who work for you. And she That's did the, violate yeah, this I, rule. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the health ethics right. rule. And right. it's a, it's it a violation. And in any situation where you're the boss and you're sleeping with right. someone who is under your direct employee, that is fucking suspicious. And right. I would recommend not doing that. And, and But in general, it's, it's not, you know outside of the context of a job or yeah. outside of a context of a, of a place where that's against the rules. It's like the, the response has been, it's not illegal to do that. It's a little bit questionable and you should circle around a couple times before you commit to that relationship, but it's not necessarily 100% a cohort, you know, no, coercive situation. That. I mean, so, they are two consenting adults. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's the sort of the issue here. This is where we run up against these sort of these weird ethical issues where people do have relationships with their colleagues and their underling. This is something that happens in human behavior. You spend more time with your colleagues than you do with most people outside of your life. It's yeah. sort of inevitable. Yeah. The question is, you know, is it hypocritical of this woman to do it while she was also at the same time, you know, um, sort of dragging other people for these alleged abuses of power. I see the hypocrisy here. Well, but the legislative aid didn't complain, right? Oh, well, there were didn't didn't complain to the house, but there were so in the red state also leaked these text messages between Katie Hill and the uh, and the the woman she was in the relationship where she abused her of or, I'm sorry, excuse me. She accused her of some sort of quote unquote toxic behaviors. So, she didn't complain to the house. I mean, yeah, obviously like if the woman wasn't complaining about it, maybe there's no issue here. Well, that's, but that's if the, the rule if, if the rule is you can't sleep with your staffers and she's sleeping with her staffer, she's violated the rule. Totally. But yeah, I just mentioned the difference between this situation and those other situations is that, you know, you have these women uh, with you know, male bosses, they're feeling like they're being coerced into sex and their job's on the line for it right. and they're feeling right. very but you you know, can't weird say, about that. You can't say the rule only applies if somebody complains. But I'm, I was asking. I didn't. Right. I just didn't know. I haven't followed. It, but I was just asking if they. She did complained not complain to uh, to the house or anything like but that. But she yeah. complained. If these text messages are correct, she complained to the congresswoman. Right. She she sent her. You are you are you are doing. You, yeah. So there were like there was an incident where apparently Katie Hill asked her to put sunscreen on her like on her shoulders after they'd split up in front of a bunch of other staffers and she was really uncomfortable with that. So you can read all of this sort of like I mean it's so dramatic and so uncomfortable <laughs> and like this should be none of our business is the other thing. Yeah. Um, but we live in a world where everything a public figure does is everyone's business. Yeah. Uh, speaking of getting into the business of people who are more powerful than you, there was a story that I feel like didn't get enough attention this week. So I just wanted to flag it quickly. It also connects to something I'm super interested in, but I'm not alone. The whole thing about Facebook ads and Mark Zuckerberg going in front of Congress and saying, hey, we're going to allow people who are running for political office. We're going to allow politicians to lie in political ads. But no one else. Right. right. That's that's okay. And there's this great uh, AOC exchange with Zuckerberg that you've probably seen. And if you haven't, you should check it out. It's everywhere on Twitter and elsewhere where she really pins him down on this. But the policy at Facebook is you can lie in a political ad if you're a politician. And finally, it seems like Zuckerberg has gone too far for Facebook employees on this. So 250 of them signed a letter this week saying this policy needs to be reconsidered seriously and fast. And they make some recommendations, and I think they're just worth flagging because they are so sane. And um, 
uh, novel in their sanity, it's it's worth uh, it's worth hearing them. So among the recommendations, treat political ads the same as other ads. Uh-huh. Don't give them a pass because they're political to lie and misinform and uh, do all kinds of other things that Facebook doesn't allow for other ads in their giant giant community. Design political ads so it's easier to distinguish them from organic posts. Great idea so that you don't get confused about whether what you're seeing in your Facebook feed is a real person saying it or someone who paid for you to get this information slash disinformation delivered to your eyeballs. Limit targeting for political ads, treating those ads in the same way the company treats ads for things like credit, housing, and education, areas that are highly regulated so that people don't get screwed over in financial transactions. Maybe we should pay the same amount of attention to the ads that determine the course of our democracy. This is the recommendation for uh, Facebook from its own employees. And then the last one I want to flag, because this is my favorite one, but it will never happen. Comply with local election silence (laughs) period rules and consider a self-imposed quiet period for elections around the world. This sounds so much like your parents' advice when, you know, you're coming up on a big life decision and they're like, why don't you take some time and reflect? And there are places outside the United States where they ban political advertising and especially social media advertising in like the week or even month before an election. And the idea is like, okay, you know, political ad buyers and sellers and all of that, do your best for a while, you know, great, you know, spin people, get your case out there, lie, whatever. Then everyone in this democracy is going to take a moment to get real, think, be serious, and then make a decision. Rather than the game that we play here, which is in the run-up to the moment of voting or all through the voting moment for people with mail-in ballots, there's this hyperactive overdrive period of trying to manipulate people and lie to people and get them confused and angry for the most part. So Yeah, Eli, but what if I publish a book during the quiet period and <laughs> the last word of the book is vote for Eli Sanders for president? Are you really going to let the government censor my book because it's technically an ad? I know all about Citizens the free United. speech <laughs> argument. I, I've heard it, but I just want you to hear that Facebook's own employees – 250 of them yeah, anyway. Yeah, out of like 40,000 employees. Yeah, I don't think you should... I Like, I agree with... I agree that this is sort of a... Uh, I think that these are all uh, like totally reasonable recommendations. And... But we have to also realize that this is a tiny, tiny percentage of Facebook employees. So this doesn't seem like a big upswelling from uh, from the little people. However, no. you should definitely get to keep get together like take the example of these 250 employees and multiply that by a million use your shareholder power to make fucking mark zuckerberg listen to you because he's having dinner with a bunch of conservative assholes who think that who's you know who put a bug in his brain and made him think that the uh, internet leans uh liberal or something i mean i think the internet does lean liberal but i don't understand why he is is, is like tell katie like, hill that. is like putting his is like putting his foot down about this because as he told congress apparently political ads don't make him that much money the, the to me the interesting thing here is that so if you think of facebook as a like a, a if you compare it to a tv network so they not only can can they not fact check ads on like your local whatever abc channel or not only do they not do it they can't do it they legally can't you know not run an ad because of lies but the difference here is that an ad that's on television is something that 
isn't targeted. A lot of people are going to see it. The candidates, the opposition to the candidate is also going to see it. So there's this opportunity for fact checking and it doesn't look good if you lie in an ad and other that becomes a story. With Facebook, it's so specific, so targeted and can be so temporary that the fake ad, your opponent might not know that the fake ad exists. So it does feel like this very different sort of. Yeah, the FCC regulates political ads on television. It well, doesn't. I don't know why it doesn't. They, regulate. I mean, they, they don't regulate. They do. They don't. A network cannot not run an ad because a because a politician is lying in the ad. Well, yeah. just yeah. to yeah. clarify yeah. something. Yeah. So, for uh, broadcast stations like mm-hmm. ABC, CBS, who are using the public airwaves, I actually am not familiar with this. Maybe what you're saying is true, but CNN, for example. Uh, which is, you know, a private news right. network, just did refuse to run political ads from Donald Trump because of lies. Right. I'm talking about networks. They're, they're, they fall under fair use doctrine or uh, whatever the equal time laws. I, I, I want to uh, put a pin in this. Sorry okay. to use a terrible phrase and look this up because I'm not sure fair use doctrine is out the window long ago. Republicans killed it. And so it doesn't exist anymore. And I'm, I'm not totally sure. Let's come back to this. We'll come back to this one. But uh Facebook is not like the networks. Right. It is a massive private company and it can run what it wants or not run what it wants. So uh, it it can, if it wants and thinks it's in the best interest of democracy, uh, it can decide we're not going to peddle lies. We're not going to make money off of lies in the run up to the election because we've learned how destructive that could be. And the only way that it can change is if all of the people who work at Facebook tell the boss That's that not they don't gonna like make what's a going on. Difference. It's shareholders that matter. We'll see. The 250 people who signed this letter, I think the implication was they are the ones who are most closely working on this people issue. People who so- work at, at Facebook do own stock in the company and mm-hmm. can unite. All right, all right. <laughs> we will see who uh, pulls the most powerful levers within Facebook, but I do think this is uh, an interesting development. And more important, I think their recommendations are interesting. And I am into the period of silence. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> Did you uh, hear about the guy who's going to run for governor in mm-hmm. Montana so that he can... Uh, uh, lie on or so that he can finally lie on Facebook ads. I think it was California. It's California. California. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he yeah. registered to. Yeah, he registered. Like, <laughs> it's like nineteen dollars to register as a, as a candidate, and but it it, they, it exposes uh, the loophole that Facebook they, has created. As long as you're a registered political candidate, <laughs> you can pay to but, put lies up. But didn't I mean he made some ads saying that like uh, Lindsey Graham had endorsed the Green New Deal? But didn't Facebook delete, deny that ad? I don't know. Yeah. We'll we'll come back to that one too. Hopefully, there is a lot as always to think about on this one. But next, we're gonna step out of the digital realm and talk about books. Rich, do you ever feel like you pay a lot and just get crap? <laughs> when I'm at the shit store, absolutely, Eli. I mean, it's the modern condition. Mm-hmm. Shit store or no, but at Everlane. It's the one place where it doesn't happen. You can upgrade your go-to clothes and your style and make Everlane's classics your new favorites. Everlane only makes premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups. They want you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs and are radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. No matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. 
Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. I, of course, still like in these cold months my Everlane puffy coat, which I've been wearing every day during this cold snap. Rich, you are still rocking your Everlane clothes. Yeah, the jeans keep out the cold. And right now you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Plus you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Jasmine Kamek, hello. Hi, Eli. You're reading a book. Rich is reading a book. We're going to talk about both of them, starting with Rich's book, which is by Madeline Fitch, who spells her last name a little oddly, two lowercase f-s-i-t-c-h. Mm-hmm. She is writing about hillbilly activism, as you put it. The book is Stay and Fight, and you said it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great book. Uh, I it's so it's so rare to love a, a novel, uh, and it's so rare, especially <laughs> to love a first novel. Uh, she has a, a book of uh, short stories that she put out before this, uh, Valparaiso Around the Horn, which is another great title. Um, but um, this is her first novel, Stay and Fight. Uh, it's about uh, you know if you listen to the news. You might think that all people who live in coal country are just begging for the company to come up, tear up the holler, and pollute the schools again. But there is a long uh, history of uh, activism in uh, Appalachian Mountains. And this book concerns characters who are kind of part of that tradition. They are a lesbian couple Mm -hmm. who are living off the grid in a matriarchal wolf pack. That's right. Yes, there's there's a lots of love, and that's a big part of it. <laughs> the big the big characters are Helen, who is uh, a Seattle born uh, like kind of anarchist uh, uh, who has a who's got a college degree uh, who moves out uh, to uh, southeastern Ohio on the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, buys some coal company land or buys a trailer on some coal company land, and um, she convinces these two. Uh, uh, lesbian this lesbian couple who is got a baby on the way pearly uh to to live with her on this land and they sort of become homesteaders and uh they yeah divorce themselves from most of uh civilized society and gather acorns and drag deer from the side of the road and live off the fat of the land and their own uh wits and uh, it's, uh, I don't know, when I was a kid, I really loved this book, Hatchet by oh, Gary Paulson. That book is so good. I, think, I loved that book. They make us all read it, right? Yeah. And it's just like about how how to get by in the woods on your own. Yeah, I loved it. There's a lot of that going on. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and, I, and, and I love that. And then there's also, uh, it's close quarters family dynamics, right? There's mm-hmm. not, you, you might think that this is, you know, matriarchal wolf pack. Sounds great. But <laughs> they're, you know, it's like any family. They fight. Um, they fight over resources. They fight over direction of the house. They fight over how to raise the kid right. And um, it's, uh, but it's so well done. The language is just good, clean, hick sentences. And, but like kind of 
there's a lot of like lyrical uh, uh, stuff in there just from the way that she uses the names of the trees. Like she just like includes names of trees and power tools in there, and it ends up being like ha- adding these poetic moments in the uh, in the in the in the prose. So uh, yeah, I I love everything about it. And there's a big question that runs beneath it, which. I feel like any thinking person in the Trump era has to be asking themselves Mm -hmm. and it's how do you one person get involved in making any significant change? Yeah, that's right. There's, you know, using this or through this story um, and what happens to these characters as the society slowly finds out about their homesteader deal, right? The the government finally finds out that they're raising a kid who may, you know, who's kind of going to school, uh, and then you know the corporation um, finally wants to um, run natural gas through a pipe that mm-hmm. goes right under the coal company land through you know a vintage pipe as they call it, and so the characters are faced with okay, how do we? fight back against this and should we you know just for this place just for this little holler and what freedom we've uh we've stuck out there and it it reaches this um uh a kind of i don't know fan fantastic conclusion not fantastic in the sense of being idealistic or whatever but just yeah you gotta stick around and (laughs) and 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 fight for whatever you consider home stay and fight yeah is the title Jasmine, the book that you just read is Normal People by Sally Rooney, who is being hailed as the voice of her generation. Yeah. Whenever anyone says that, I always think of um, that line from the first season in Girls. I don't know if if you watch that, but Mm -hmm. um, where she says, I don't want to be, you know, the writer of a generation. I just want to be a writer of a generation or a, a voice of a generation. And I, that's kind of how I feel about uh, normal people. I'm really late to this book, just so everyone knows. I'm a year behind. <laughs> uh, I stress bought this book, uh, as I do um, at my brother's graduation. That's how I kind of ground myself. Um, but yeah, this book came out to a lot of hype. It's Sally Rooney's uh, second book. She put out two novels in two years, which is more than a lot of people do in their whole lifetime. Um and uh, it's it's a really interesting book about two people who are about my age uh, living in rural Ireland. And so what generation are we talking about here? Sally Rooney is 28. Yeah, I'm 25. Um, so millennials. Um, and it, it kind of it, it follows this these two people over the course of four years. There's Marianne, who is wealthy. She's very smart, but she's super unpopular. And she has a really hard home life. And then there's Connell, who is handsome, popular, smart, but, you know, lower wor- middle class, working class. And his mother, his single mom, works for Marianne's family. Um, and so, you know, with this intimate, uh, intimate interaction that they have with one another that's kind of relating to their home lives, they end up, you know, forging this bond while still in high school their last year. And uh, Connell wants to keep the relationship a secret because he's uh, embarrassed by her uh and as luck turns out they end up both going to trinity college in dublin and the table tables turn a bit uh connell finds himself out of his element um and marianne kind of comes into hers so the novel kind of follows them as they have a relationship non-relationship um and and how they kind of grow as people um it's told in the third person but it each chapter kind of switches perspectives 
Um, and it, the writing is very clean. Um, but I think what makes, what really draws you in is the way that she's able to layer time. Mm. Uh, it, it, you know, she's able, like, within a moment, she explores at least several weeks of, you know, Marianne's life or, um, you know, years of, of Connell's. Um, and it, I think that's what makes the story so compelling. Uh, also, when I learned that Rooney was one of the top debaters in Europe, uh, yeah. as a, as a college student, she was really into debate and, um, she won the top prize in all of Europe. And I think something about how she is able to think about language in that way, it just, it draws you into, to, to both perspectives of both of her characters. And what is it about the texture of the novel or the character's interaction that makes this, in people's minds, a millennial novel? I, I, th- I think perhaps, because I, I think I went in expecting to see more things like, you know, Snapchat or Instagram or texting or mm-hmm. nudes or whatever. Uh, but I think it, it really is about this this type of intimacy that is, isn't really fully fledged in a certain Mm -hmm. sense right where it's you're not really in a relationship but you're not really not in a relationship (laughs) (laughs) you know and and i'm sure i mean people have had those kinds of interactions you know over over as long as humans have been around right but i think that there's something about my generation we've really codified that as a part of our own you know way that we relate to one another where i'm open but I'm also kind of not mo- monogamous, but I'm not looking for anything serious, but I kind of want someone around right now. You know, like yeah. that kind of enumerating that um, and how intimacy can kind of grow and and change and become something, you know, really different between two people. I was laughing a minute ago because um, something that I I did not uh, really know until millennial people in my life uh, taught it to me was this exact construction that you used. I'm not really X, but I'm also not really not X. Yeah. Like this, this, uh, <laughs> that came to me through the millennial generation. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I, I think that normal people is really – great um i think you know it's hard to have perspective on it when there's so much hype around it but to me it's it's a very interesting look at intimacy it's a very interesting look at um you know being in your because tw- I, i'm actually the same exact age as the characters in the novel mm-hmm. um so i i think it, it helps me have a little bit of perspective on myself and my life in, in that respect um i, I liked it i it was really great. One of the uh, notes of praise that I've seen for this book, and it's I hate to kind of repeat it, but you know what? It's worth it because it'll make people buy books. Mm-hmm. This is a fast read. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's under 250 pages. I'm kind of a fast reader, but it was something where I was at work and I was looking to go home and finish reading. Mm-hmm. The book. And I think it's I love romance, too. Um embarrassing to put that out there but (laughs) but uh it's it's yeah it's a fast read it's really engaging um it's quick it's easy it's thoughtful so you felt the same way about stay and fight it it was but the questions that i was excited for the book to answer were a little bit funny it was like well are they going to get rid of the snakes? <laughs> they need to get rid of those snakes. That's a real problem. <laughs> so I was happy to delve into that world, um, you know, rather than the um, glorious um, or an inglorious hell political world we live in every day. 
All right, two wonderful fast read books that you should pick up. Normal People by Sally Rooney. That's Jasmine's recommendation. And Stay and Fight by Madeline Fitch. That's Rich's. Jasmine, thank you. Thanks. Rich, thank you. Thanks, Elaine. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Katie Herzog, Jasmine Kimig, Rich Smith, or me, call the Blabberphone, 206-302-2063. Thanks, as always, to Ahamefile J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week, and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears. <laughs>